Welcome to the Daniel Burke Show. I want to create a hundred episodes of podcast. The longest Snapchat I've ever felt. One a day. Coming on. No real purpose. Coming on. No real topics to cover. Coming on. Just me talking. Coming on. Coming on. Three, two, one. Woohoohoohoo! What is going on, guys? Welcome back to. Day 34 of the Daniel Burke Show. We are here. It is March 6, 2017. It is a Monday. You know what Mondays are good for for me. We've got dodgeball tonight. I'm so keen. Today's been a massive day for me. I've read a lot of material today. And I want to share some of what I've read with you. Some of it's related to what I'm doing preparing for this upcoming entrepreneurship boot camp uh, with MIT, run through a university close to my home, Um, reading the book Discipline Entrepreneurship by Bill Ouellette. If anyone's looking to start a business, I would highly recommend that book, so Discipline Entrepreneurship by Bill Ouellette. Um, Yeah, my eyes are kind of hurting from staring at a screen for so long today, so... I'm going to record this podcast and probably chill out for the rest of the afternoon, try and get a workout in before dodgeball. Um, yeah, I don't want to look at many, too many screens for the rest of the day. So, what are we going to learn about today? Well, last Monday I interviewed my boy Rosie. Shout out to my boy Rosie. So, that was day 27. However, the two previous Mondays before that, we were talking about machine learning which is something else that I've been studying on the side um, along with building, building a web application. Um, machine learning, um, if you want to check out those first two episodes, I'll just give you a heads up before you start getting too deep into this one. I'll try to keep it relative and fun, but uh, there is sort of a premise um, that you have already listened to day 13 and day 20 already. But nonetheless, I'll keep this one as fun as I can and um, share with you what I learned this morning. All of this information on machine learning is available on Medium. If you look up the article, Machine Learning is Fun, um, this is part three of that series. I've already done part one and two. They were day 13 and day 20, respectively. So, today we're going to sort of look at uh, an example in machine learning of how... you ever seen a photo application like Google Photos or Apple Photos where you can now search search the images for, let's say, a remote. You can search your, literally your photos on your device. You type in the word remote, and it will show you the images with a remote in them. It's pretty crazy, pretty gnarly. It's on all major smartphones now, so if you haven't seen it, try it out. But we're going to look at an example of how, how, can, we, how can we do this? How, how is this actually done? And, of course, it's going to be a very simplified type, type way to do it. Um, there's a lot more parts to it than what I'm explaining, but I'm going to try get it, get it within the next 20 minutes or so and see, see where we get to. And this is, this is kind of selfish because it's mostly for my understanding of just me talking out loud of the stuff that I've learned on machine learning, but hopefully you guys pick up something too. Um, the, what we covered in day 13 and day 20 was like kind of the starting to this, um, starting phase to this. So day 20, I'll just quickly revise was, Uh, We covered neural networks in machine learning. So if you imagine um, a brain is a bunch of neurons that are all connected in a network. So that's how you think. That's how you analyze answers. When you have a machine that has a neural network, uh, each one of the neurons is called a node. And a node is just like an algorithm, which is uh, a complicated math equation. And you combine a whole bunch of those algorithms together and you get a network. 
and you put some data in that network and that network is designed to, to give you patterns within that data, right? So our example we used in the first one, day 20, was house prices. If I have three bedrooms, 20,000 square feet and two garages and I put that into my machine learning neural network algorithm, it will generate a price for us. Now that was in a nutshell, but check out day 20 if you want to learn more. Alright, so part three, deep learning and convolutional neural networks, right? So if we imagine a picture of a landscape, right? Uh, any three-year-old can look at a picture and tell you whether or not there's a bird in it, okay? But how, how do you get a machine to look at a picture and tell us if there's a bird at it? Now, this is something that's been played with and toyed with by computer sciences, scientists for the last 50 to 60 years, I want to say. 1960s or maybe even before then, how do you get a computer to recognize something within an image? Uh, so... You can you can sort of get the whole idea of like location-based photos. So I can tell you that the photo was taken in a national park, but how do I know what's in the actual photo? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So um, a good approach to object recognition is deep convolutional neural networks, right? So let's start simple. How would we recognize uh, a handwritten number eight from an image? So you can use a number of similar generic uh, neural networks to recognize eight as the similar equations we did in, in day 20. You can use a bunch of, of general uh, networks like that to, to analyze a picture, right? And so this is just a bunch of, of simple algorithms all linking in with each other to scan a photo and tell you whether or not there's a number eight there. So, as we've said before, machine learning works bit best with a lot of data, okay? So the way uh, a machine learning algorithm works is that you feed it a whole bunch of data, let's say 100,000 different sets of data, and it will run through and look for patterns in the data for you, okay? So to find a number eight on a, on a piece of paper, um, you can go to, you can find a data set and the data set that they use in the example is M-N-I-S-T, so all in capitals, and they have a whole bunch of different data sets with different uh, handwritten numbers on, on, on images, okay? And this, for this example, they use 60,000 images, so 60,000, six with four zeros, images of a handwritten number eight. And so each... Each little individual image of a number 8 comes as an 18 by 18 image, right? 18 pixels by 18 pixels. And if you imagine in the computer world, everything is binary, okay? Everything is just numbers. So how do we get from an 18 by 18 image of a handwritten number 8 to a machine being able to tell us, hey, that's an 8? Well, one way you could do it is say that, say that let's say for, for simplicity's sake, all the 8s are in, uh, they have... There are black handwriting on a white background, okay? Now, in, in proper computer, computer speak, nothing is really black, black, except for black, of course. However, I didn't say that right. But as there isn't... If we look at an 18 by 18 image, you can tell whether it's a number 8 by the darkness 
where the number 8 lies by the darkness of each individual pixel. Okay, so if you imagine, if we're running through, if you imagine white as being 0, and the blackest of black as being 255, Y255, because that's the color scale, you can look that up on your own. Um, but if we go mid-tier gray would probably be something like 200, and 200, let's say 200. So if you've got a heap of, let's say the top row is all white, it'd be 0, 0, 0, 0, 0. And then say if we got the first, first row of pixels where the number 8 starts, you'll have like 0, 0, 0, 245, 255, 255, 255, 235, 205, 0, 0, 0, 0, 0. So, right, that's the top, top little section of the 8. And so that's just like in part two, how everything is just numbers. So how do we get a computer to tell us the value of our house? Well, we just give it as many numbers as possible. We type in the number of bedrooms, the number of square feet, the number of garages, where it is in an area, etc. Now, that's the same with the number eight. We just, rather than, rather than telling the machine to look for the actual number eight, they tell it to look for numbers on the page, right? So it can search, it can find out, and now obviously I'm skipping over a whole bunch of steps, but I'm just telling you how, how this would look in a machine learning sense, is that it would go through, find which squares are dark and which are not, and then compare that to, to the database of 60,000 images, and you'll have two outputs here. You'll have is an 8, is not an 8, right? So what's the next step after we've broken each of the individual uh, squares of 8 into numbers on a page rather than, than literally a handwritten 8 on an 18 by 18 image. And if we look at the 18 by 18 image, it's a source of 324 input nodes, right? So what we discussed about before, a node is an individual algorithm, okay? And so now we've got, if you imagine machine learning, you have input, node, output. Right, so the input is the big data. The node is the algorithm calculating what to do with the with the data, and then you've got the output. And so, uh, the eighteen by eighteen image creates um, a source of three hundred twenty four different inputs. Right, for the three hundred, why three hundred twenty four? Well, eighteen times eighteen is three hundred twenty four. So each individual square is an input into our algorithm. Okay, and so what is our ideal output? The output is two outputs here is an 8, isn't an 8. So if you put in 324 different inputs into our node, which is the algorithm, you should get an outcome which is fairly accurate of is an 8, not an 8. Now, 324 inputs may sound like a lot larger than just when we are dealing with a house. A house has three inputs, right? So the, the let's say square foot, foot space, number of bedrooms, area code that it lives in, right? Or wherever the house is built. So that's only three. And we've got 324 per image of number eight. So that sounds like a lot, but for a computer, that's really not that many, right? We're talking, you, can, you could easily do these type of calculations on the smartphone you're listening to this podcast on. And then, what's next? So, how, how, so the computer can recognize a whole bunch of 8s and tell you if it is an 8 or isn't an 8. But what about a whole bunch of other numbers that are, that are mixed up with the 8s? Or what if the 8s are mixed up with a whole bunch of other numbers? Same thing, right? So, training your machine. So, this is what you can do the same with 
the same way we've just done um, just recognize the number eight. You can do that with the, with the data set provided by MNIST with other numbers. And so you can use the same pixel, like the same like identifier as the number eight, which is like the 0000, 235, 255, 255, imagining the, the white and dark pixels. And then you can compare that to other numbers. And then the machine, if it, if it recognizes eights very well, it will be able to scan the another number and tell you that well that's where the outputs come in. Once you put all these other numbers through the nodes that you created, the algorithms that you created to only recognize eights, that's when you get start to get one of two outputs, is an eight, isn't an eight. Now what are some what are some caveats here that we gotta gotta think about? So right now our algorithm is very basic. It's only going to consider what a handwritten number eight looks like if the eight is perfectly in the center of of our 18 by 18 image, right? So it's gonna go through, see which pixels are white, see which pixels are dark, and recognize whether or not it's a, it's a number eight. And now, because our, our samples are all in the center, it's only good at doing eights that are in the center. So if an eight, eight was of in the bottom right of an image, still in the 18 by 18 square, it would come back, it was returned as not an eight because our algorithm is set up to to inspect in the one certain way. So how can we get this algorithm to adjust to learning whether or not an eight is an eight if it's not in the center of the image, right? So essentially we want it to now recognize whether eight is a number eight regardless of where it is within the image. So. One way to do it is using a sliding window. Now, what does that look like? This is called a brute force method. That means it's literally going to check every portion of the image for the number eight over and over again. So if you imagine, imagine you've got an eraser on a whiteboard, okay? So you start in the top left corner. Imagine if your whiteboard was full of numbers. And then you start in the top left corner and you would slowly move your way to the right-hand corner move down the length of the eraser, move back to the left-hand side, move down the length of the eraser, move back to the right-hand side, okay? So just like wax on, wax off type of behavior. Now, as you can imagine, that can be very inefficient. Why? Well, because if you're constantly, if you're doing that for every single image, it's not gonna be as fast as, as other options that I'm gonna get into in a minute. What is the number two option? So the brute force number two is more data, and then create a deep neural net, right? So what does this mean? Well, all of our images of number eight at the start were centered. So why don't we feed our machine more data in terms of having uh, like 60,000 images of number eight scrambled all over the screen? And that way it might be able to recognize eights all over the screen. Yeah, that's a, that's a good option. So you could have... Um, an eight in the top left, an eight in the top right, eight in the bottom left, an eight in the center, eight in the bottom right, all over the image, and then you just sort of slowly build up the, the data set of that, and then you slowly create the algorithm that will recognize number eights like that. So the more data, it, the, more data the harder it is to learn, but the neural network is getting bigger and easier to solve harder problems, right? So these type of recognition patterns and, and sort of solving methods have been around since the 60s. So... 
What, why is it called a deep neural net? Well, because rather than recognizing one simple eight within the middle of the screen, it's now able to recognize eights all over, all over a certain, certain range. Okay? So there's multiple layers to it. It's not just eight in the center of the screen. It's recognizing the number eight wherever it may be. And so how, why, like, so how, this concept has been around since the 60s, so why have we, we been able to do it until very recently? Well, we're essentially waiting for computing power to catch up. Now, normal computing power, like, I won't get too in-depth in it, but you have in a normal computer, maybe the one you're using now, if you're on a smartphone, this is the case in your smartphone, you have a CPU and a GPU. So the CPU is a... Um, computing processing unit, probably even calling it the wrong name, but let's just say computing processing unit, and the GPU is the graphics processing unit. Now, computing processing unit is for every every single task that you can imagine, whereas the graphics processing unit is specifically targeted towards graphics. So let's say, for example, if you're gaming, most of the time it will switch over to use your GPU. Why? Because it's better at calculating some things than the CPU. And now, this, this deep neural net, uh, calculating all different types of images and whatnot, is very much well suited for graphics cards. Why? Because uh, graphics cards are incredibly good at matrix multiplication. Now, we won't jump into that too much, but let's just say they're much better at a certain type of making certain types of calculations when compared to CPUs. So really, gaming and all this sort of stuff, rendering 3D graphics, has really opened up the world of machine learning and AI. So, props to the gamer world. What happens next? So, what's a better approach to finding out than the two brute force methods we talked about to finding out whether there's a number 8 within, within an image? The solution is called convolution. And now, I'll let you Google that word if you want. It's C-O-N-V-O-L-A. U-T-I-O-N. Now, there's a couple of funny funny locations of where this word originated, but apparently this is a thing in machine learning. It's called conv convolution. Apparently, it, it arised from some scientist probing the brain of a cat to see what what would happen if, if, it, if he touched a certain part of its brain. And I have no idea how that relates to machine learning, but it probably does somehow, but not off the top of my head. So, how can we use convolution... So, if you imagine an image of a child, right? It's not going to be just a child. If, you, if they're playing in the backyard, there's going to be, they're sitting on a toy, they're sitting on grass, the toy's sitting on the grass, uh, there's a tree in the background, there's a rope on the ground, there's a sand pit, right? So, any human being can look at that image and go, yeah, I see a kid, I see a toy, I see grass, whatnot. But think about how hard that is for a machine to do, right? So, that's essentially what's happening on your smartphone, right? You search in your in your search bar on the Photos app and you go small child or child or whatever or if you even search Sam, search a kid's name Sam, it will show you images of that. Now how, how is that possible, right? So this is where convolution comes in. This is how it's relative to you, right? Convolution is used in, in photo recognition everywhere and a whole bunch of other things. Um, so convolution, instead of feeding entire images into the neural network as one grid of numbers, so convolution takes, it, takes advantage of the idea that an object is the same no matter where it appears in a picture. Just like we talked about number eight. 
whether it's a number eight in the center of an image or in the bottom left or in the top right, a number eight is still a number eight. Right, so what's the first step of convolution? Break the image into overlapping image, image tiles. Right, so if you imagine a picture of a child, if you break that into, let's say, 70 different squares, and each one of those squares is slightly overlapping with the other square, right? So if you were putting them all back together, uh, it would look like a weird photo. So I'm trying to explain this as best I can. But if you imagine, let's say the top left square, right? The top left square has a bit of, on the right-hand side of the next square has on its left-hand side. So they're, they're overlapping, okay? Now, I'm not entirely sure around this whole process, but I'm going to try to explain as best I can. And then, so you would pass a sliding window, much like we did in the brute force method number one, across all of, all of the image squares. And you're going to save each tiny tile, so each of the 70 different tiles that we've broken the image into, into a separate picture file, right? So that's step one. Break it into little overlapping squares, save each square as, a, as its own picture file. So step two. Feed each of these smaller pictures into the neural network that you've created before, right? So repeat each of, for each of these steps. So that's step two. Feeding each of those files that we've just saved into a neural network that you've created before. And then step three, save each of the results of the tile into a new array. Now what's an array? It's just a list of numbers. So you can imagine an array if I write down one, two, three... That's an array of numbers, okay? So save each of the results of the, each tile into a new array. What sort of numbers would we be saving? Well, we'd be saving, just like the number eights, we saved zeros and two hundreds of what color pixels there were. It'd be similar to that, right? So you started with a large, we started with a large image. Now that, that picture of the child playing in the backyard. Started with a large image, and now we have a smaller array which notes all of the, we have, Sorry, we have a whole bunch of arrays now. And the arrays, because they've been through the neural network, you can pick out which are the, the interesting parts. Okay, so that's, that's an important thing. So not every, every, if we broke up a whole image of a child and we're looking specifically for the child, not every, if we've done our neural network right, much like we did the AIDS, not every array is going to have some interesting numbers for us. Only some will. So what is step four? And now, of course, guys, I'm skipping over so many steps. I'm just trying to break it up as, as simple as I can for my own understanding as well as yours. But step four, so you've got the smaller arrays. So you downsize or downsample the arrays from step three because there's still a lot of, of these clumps of numbers. And we've got we to really get down into the nitty-gritty. We want to sample it down as small as we can. So how do you downsample? There's an algorithm called max pooling. And max pooling... Is, is a very complicated algorithm, but essentially what it does is it allows you to sort of decipher what are the most interesting bits out of the most interesting bits, right? So it's just narrowing down, narrowing down what, what you're looking for. And then you find something interesting within a certain image tile, right? And you keep that bit. So what have we done? We fed our image, our broken up image into a neural network. We've taken the results from that neural network algorithm and compiled that into a list of arrays, which is a number of numbers. And the arrays, from those list of arrays, we've taken the interesting bits, we've fed them into another algorithm called the Max Pooler algorithm. 
and we've downsized it even further, finding more interesting interesting bits from from the already smaller sample size. And the final step is with your machine, it's going to make a prediction. Right, so the array we have now is really just a bunch of numbers. Just just like we had back in the back in the start with the eights, we had the zeros and the the two hundreds because of white squares and dark squares. This is the same with a very complicated picture. So you feed the fully you feed the arrays you've taken down after the max pool equation, and you feed it into a fully connected neural network. Now, what does this look like? Well, it's what we've developed off off all the sample images, like we talked about before. And that is where the machine will say whether there's a photo of a child in there or not. And now, obviously, I've skipped over hundreds of steps here, billions of steps. So Apple, Apple has publicly said that it does a billion, over a billion calculations per image. That is insane, right? And I've, I've summed it up into th five steps. So as you can imagine, it it's may not seem, I don't know, I'm, I'm very oversimplifying maybe. So what, is it, what does your deep network look like now? So the steps that we've taken is called a deep network. This is essentially deep learning, right? So you've got the input image, you do the convolution, you do the max pooling, you feed it into a fully connected neural network, and now you have the outputs. So this is called a deep network because there's multiple layers, right? And now, how can you add more steps to this? So you can increase the number of times that you run it through convolution as well as max pooling, right? So that's where you get the, the billions of calculations done per step, is that you can put the input image as large as you want through convolution and max pooling as many times as you want to find out what your output is. And over time, because as we've discussed in previous episodes, machine learning works best off data. So the more it learns, the more history it has, it can con continually get better and better and better at analyzing new data sets. And what's a data set? A photo is a data set, right? A soundtrack is a data set. So that's, this is the type of thing that YouTube uses to scan over videos to find nudity, to find copyright tracks. It essentially just breaks it down into small little pieces, finds the, the pieces that will be interesting to it, keeps breaking it down even more, feeds it into an algorithm, and then tells you or not whether or not there's someone naked in your YouTube video or you've got copyright music there. Now, obviously, it's, a very, it's much more complicated than what I'm talking about, but that's in a, in a nutshell. So you, you essentially just take a large image, take a large data set, and boil it down until, it's, until you get an output that you need. And now, of course, it's not going to be 100% accurate all the time. That's where you search on your phone. You, you search for the image of a remote. It may give you a car in there because maybe the algorithm is not perfect to differentiate between a car and a remote yet. But over time, with more data, it will get better and better and better, just like when you learn something new. You can take a guess at how much a house is worth, but... If, unless you've been doing it for 20 years, your guess may be way off, right? And so you can do as many steps as you like in terms of creating a deep network. You can put the input and then have any as many steps as you want in terms of narrowing it down to find out what you want before you feed it into the neural network to find an output. That's where you get the billions of steps. And so where, where can you practice something like this if you wanted to? You can use uh, TFLearn, which is uh, TensorFlow, deep learning library, um, which is provided by Google. So if you just Google TF Learn or TensorFlow deep learning, 
uh, that will give you a whole bunch of sorry a whole bunch of resources you can practice deep learning there's so much documentation on there now otherwise if you just want to read the stuff that I'm reading just Google medium deep learning machine learning is fun parts one to six that's what I'm reading right now I'm just trying to get my head around the whole thing before I dive in and start learning all the complicated stuff and the good thing is is all of this stuff can be done on your home computer if you have any sort of graphics card you can start building machine learning programs right off the bat and just it'll utilize your graphics card you can utilize the the resources we were talking about before from the what's it, what's their name we've got the ms and no n m n i s t data set right and so there's examples online of how you can use their data sets and build your own machine learning programs to work out a whole bunch of different things. And then, hey, maybe you learn something fun and you can apply this to whatever industry you're in and become a millionaire because that's where all the money is right now in AI and machine learning. And yeah, now you know how, why Google Photos is free, right? Because nothing's ever free at the end of the day, but Google Photos uses this entire process we've just talked about um, to to analyze your photos. And why is it free to upload to Google Photos? Um, because they, they take your data. Essentially, you, once, you, once you upload your photos to Google Photos, you're essentially, if you read the T's and C's, you're agreeing to the fact that Google can use your photos within their data set to improve their algorithms. That's literally what you're doing, as well as any, any Google product you really use, right? So why is Google Search free? Well, because everything you type into Google Search gets fed into Google's algorithm and that's how it does the predictive search, right? So that's how it knows when you go, why can't I bake a cake? It knows what words you're going to type next, right? So, And that's why it produces some funny things because it literally captures everyone's stuff. So if you type in, why can't I dress up as a horse next Monday? Then that's going to feed into the algorithm. And hey, someone who, who searches, why can't I dress... It might the algorithm might accidentally throw out dress up as a horse, but when that person doesn't choose that pre pre filled text, it's going to fit, tell the algorithm, hey, no one's clicking on that that pre filled set search, so get rid of it. That's it in a nutshell. I've spoken for too long now, probably it's about half an hour on deep learning, deep convolutional learning, taking photos, breaking them up, and putting them through a neural network and finding out what's in the photo and I've certainly got a lot to go in terms of learning machine learning and deep learning um, but I'm, I'm slowly learning a little bit and I hope uh, what I'm sharing with you makes some sort of sense if not you can always find it out yourself online um, if you've got any feedback from me if you want to talk about machine learning I'd love to hear what you're talking about uh, my Twitter handle is at Mr. D. Burke. My website is MrDBurke.com. Email is Daniel at Mr. D. Burke. Whatever you're doing, I hope you have an amazing day. If you learn something new, make sure you share it with someone and tell them you love them while you're at it because I love you all. Thanks so much for listening. I'll catch you later.